My guest today on The Scholars is someone I've been looking forward to interviewing for quite some time now. Dr. Joe Gattis is an origami engineer and senior lecturer at the University of Queensland. Dr. Gattis, welcome to The Scholars. Thank you very much, Justin. Happy to be here. Okay, well, let's let's get straight to the point. You are an origami engineer. Can you explain what on earth that is, please? Well, essentially, the it's, it's there on the name. We take folded patterns and we try to apply it. But it did look. It is a little bit of a branding exercise on the part of our research community because it never fails to kick off quite an interesting conversation. Um, it is also, a good conversation starter. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I guess as uh, engineers, we're always mindful. We need any uh, social boosts that we can get to try to get people interested <laughs> in, in our work in the day-to-day. So, no, as an origami engineer, um, my, my personal expertise, I would say, is in parametric geometry. You know, we take shapes. Yes. Uh, we take very interesting shapes that, that have been developed for you know centuries or millennia by artists and then mathematicians, and we try to apply those shapes. Uh, it's as simple as that. So how did you get involved in that? I'm, I'm really curious. Like, obviously, when, when people are growing up, they might think they want to be a, a teacher or a fireman or a doctor. Like, <laughs> you say, I think origami engineering is for me. Well, yeah, no, look, it's safe to say I didn't mention it to the careers counsellor at my high school as an option. Yes. I think if yes. I did, they, they might have sent me to the nurse to get the head checked. But uh, <laughs> I'm a, I think it's, I'd say I'm a born structural engineer. So my, my core passion and I guess the domain that I'm really located in is structural engineering and building design. And so mm-hmm. uh, the origami research community, what really got me interested in it initially was work that was happening around deployable and lightweight structures. So, you know, you take a you take a sheet and you fold it and you can very quickly create, you know, a visually interesting but very light, very strong building. And uh, the community that I worked with uh, in the University of Oxford where I ended up studying origami engineering, they're particularly interested in deployable structures and emergency shelters. That was their historical research base, but typically in, I guess what you'd see is the, um, the marquee-type structures, those deployable scissor-type systems but the ability to fold plates solved a lot of problems it essentially gave you that solid envelope that kind of shelter the protection that that you need in a house but as part of the actual folding system itself so it allows you to create very elegant very streamlined designs that you know can really just be generated from one sheet of material or or, uh, one material at least so is, is this a new field in engineering as such it is in engineering. We've built up a lot uh, recently from preceding work that had happened in mathematics and then science. Um, but essentially what happened was that well, how the whole field developed over 40 years. There was beautiful artistic work that that's existed historically and mathematicians in different research communities became very interested in you know the attributes of these patterns. And that translated to a sort of formal research base and over time people kind of noticed that these origami shapes they actually have a lot of really good features that we want in engineering designs you know they're fast to design they're intuitive for people to to, to get their hands on this it's certainly much easier to i think people enjoy folding origami more than they enjoy putting ikea furniture together like generally <laughs> um depending of course on the complexity but it, it's got this sort of yeah. physical this tacitness that is actually really approachable to a lay person and, and that includes researchers and so as engineers we sort of saw these interesting shapes and started thinking about ways that they would solve problems or, or add performances that we were looking 
before. And in the case of deployable structures, it's sort of, yeah, they're very foldable, they're very easy to make, uh, and they look good. So what are some um, practical examples of where we might see uh, this in, in work, you know, uh, as, as we go about day-to-day life? So we're actually surrounded by items which have been fabricated by folding. You know, the key one that everyone would have within arm's reach is packaging. Now, everything you purchase is okay. a folded cardboard yeah. product and, and actually one of the cheapest, most massively, mass distributed uh, consumer products available. Um, the reason is it, it's low energy, right? It's very easy to produce a sheet, cut a sheet, fold a sheet and, and scale it up. It's an extremely streamlined production process. Um, but in our built environment, you know, if anyone lives in a house with a corrugated steel roof, that's a, that's a folded structure. They've taken a thin sheet and they've been able to manipulate the geometry yes. to stiffen it up. And so, you know, those two examples, you know, they're basically one of our most common consumer products and our most common building materials. They work because of this geometric manipulation of a sheet. And uh, with origami technology, all that's happened is we've got more uh, sophisticated fabrication machines, which allow us to fold more complicated shapes. So we can, we can uh, you know, try different design challenges or, or add a level of complexity in the geometries that we're actually trying to form. So you're now teaching at the University of Queensland and you're joining us from Brisbane. Has Queensland always been home for you? Yes, no, Brisbane, born and bred, uh, and was something of a boomerang uh, academic, actually. I, I studied my undergraduate at UQ in civil engineering and did my PhD overseas at the University of Oxford and came straight back again as faculty. Wow. Okay, so how, how did you um, go about applying for the John Monash Scholarship and what was it that made you think, actually, this is, uh, this is something I want to have a crack at? Look, it was a it was certainly a an indirect pathway. I guess one key thing about the engineering uh, mindset is we're very application based, and what that means to in terms of a study pathway is we're really looking at the jobs market after we finish our undergraduate degree. You know, similar to most, I suspect, Australian undergraduate students, but just exacerbated by the practical nature of engineers. You know, we want to get out and we want to do real things. We want to Stuff. tackle yeah. the physical world, right? And so, you know, all through my undergraduate degree, I was, I was really focused on, you know, your typical kind of uh, you know, personal development opportunities, the student societies, the sort of career expos, you know, job placements. And, and my entire thinking was simply around, well, which company do I want to apply for, you know? And mm-hmm. um, what shook me out of that, and I'm very glad it did, was actually the GFC employment crunch. So perhaps similar mm. to a few un- undergraduate students who are, are facing a bit of career uncertainty this year. Right now, COVID, yeah. You yeah. know, in 2009, for us, that was GFC. And it was the first time in several years where engineering graduates weren't essentially guaranteed a job. You know, things suddenly and, and, and fit- snapped up straight away, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it was that uh, disruption which, you know, for the first time really forced me to say, well, hang on, what what are the other options here? Yeah. Um, and... I was actually fortunate. I had a really great undergraduate thesis uh, supervisor and academic at UQ. And, you know, I went to him for advice. I said, look, I, I really like structural engineering. I like what we've been working on here with research. I was, I was doing deployable structures with him. That's sort of when I first became aware of this area. And he suggested this uh, research group in Oxford, an, an origami engineering group. He said, hey, have you thought about applying for the John Monash Scholarship or, or doing postgraduate research? 
Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I hadn't. You know, this was March of my final year of university and I think the Monash scholarships at the time were due around July or August and it was this absolute right-hand turn in, in how I saw my, you know, career development unfolding ahead of me, no pun intended. Yeah, okay. So what would you do? You thought, okay, well, I need to get myself in shape here to, to have a crack. Got your forms in and what happened then? Yeah, look, uh, in hindsight, it's as simple as that, but I just remember at the time, there's some, it, it was sort of compounded in this, this job application environment. So you're preparing all your job applications, you, you see something like the John Monash Foundation, it just looks really uh, intimidating as a process, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I'd applied for certain things, but nothing of the caliber that uh, I, I'd sort of seen in terms of or what I saw the John Monash offering as an opportunity. Um, and so I was fortunate. I had some really good advice from um, some of the academic staff at UQ, from some of the former uh, staff or, or teachers that I'd stayed in contact with at my high school, and, and they were super encouraging. And, and they particularly helped, I guess, with with the, the reference letters, which I always find to be the most taxing of okay. any yeah. application <laughs> process because, you know, you're sort of putting your heart on your sleeve a bit and, um, you know, you're asking people you really respect uh, for some of their time, but, you know, of course, People are always exceedingly generous. Um, and now that I'm on the other side of that, I, I can see why. You know, I, I love it when I get the opportunity to write references for my students when they're stepping out yeah. to the world. But, mm. but at the time, that to me was the part that I found, um, you know, daunting. You know, I can, I can write about myself if I have to. I can't say that I enjoy it, but I can. Um, and I sort of had a, a quite a good idea of the research area I wanted to get into. Um, and I also contacted the group in Oxford and they were great with me. And so you got the um, you got the go ahead, and um, there you go off to off to Oxford. What was it like um, studying at Oxford? Yeah, look, it's transformational. There's no other way I, I can describe it. It changed my perception of the value I could contribute to society. It changed my understanding of how I learn, or it changed my understanding of what international expertise in my my field is. Um, it, it it was it was really transformational and I guess particularly for me I was you know a fairly classical undergraduate student I was living at home through most of my undergraduate degree um, you yeah. know I'd moved out to go overseas I was only 21 and I was stepping into a college system wow. firstly which which yeah, I hadn't seen before yeah. and um, and I was also stepping into this you know world class research group studying what what seemed to me to be quite a niche area at the time um, so I guess the key thing that I found amazing about Oxford is their college system is structured so that, you know, your day-to-day life, your social activities, you're interacting with people across every discipline, right? My housemates studied physics, mathematics, English, philosophy, law. Um, and then you go to the department and you're working with, you know, research groups that are experts in, in your area, and the areas adjacent to you. So you get this beautiful cross-section of conversation and, I guess, in, in informal learning opportunities where, you know, you're talking with your peers about an amazing diversity of, of research and uh, expertise, and then you're going into your um, research group and you're talking with the best people in the world about what they're mm. doing. And what was what was your cohort like? Were there were there literally people from all over the world that you were um, teaming up with? Yeah, huge huge mix. Um, in my uh, engineering department, I think I started with about six other engineers who started a PhD alongside me, and they're from, you know, Canada, Ireland, Italy, Australia, China. Um, and, you know, we instantly formed a, a really great bond. And one of the great things about engineering is we do sort of have these 
lab facilities as part of our day-to-day research. So we're actually working alongside our peers and and helping each other out in progressing our own research in, in a really great way. And then at college, you know, it's, it's that times 10. So there's 80 students who, who started with me at Magdalen College. And mm. uh, I, look, I couldn't list the countries they're from. There's about 80 countries they're from, I think. Um, and, you know, again, between the college life, the social activity structured around the college and then your own social networks through your interest groups, you very quickly build a, an international network of, of friends, uh, which, I, which I still have to this day. Yeah, and do you do you um, collaborate with um, with some of those people now in your in your work that you're doing at um, uh, in Queensland? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been a couple of uh, great international collaborations. I've been able to continue coming back to UQ. I guess the key one for me is uh, my partnerships with China, so Tianjin University. Um, pretty much for the last five years, we've we've had a really great back and forth, sending students both ways. Um, and also a great thing coming back to UQ is we've actually had two or three more engineers be successful in the John Monash scholarship, uh, and they've gone back oh, to Oxford really? to okay. study with yeah, to study with different supervisors. Um, and so to me, it's really fantastic you because give, give you know, them all the tips. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't go as far as coaching, but it's just you know it, it's what helped me get through that initial stage of well, should I even apply for the application? There was someone mm. I could speak to that that personalize the whole experience you know i could actually say well no this is the supervisor who's working in the area you're interested in here's their contact details if you need to talk to them um and you know looking at you should definitely apply you're in with a shot right and and certainly i guess that's the key thing that that they need to see when i was in the position i didn't think i was in with a shot but it it turned out i was and so you know Mm. i can convince more students and we have no shortage of fantastic students that that they're you know competitive and interesting and and it's a great opportunity then getting them to apply is is really the key part of the whole endeavor exactly am i right in saying that uh part of your studies focused on applying origami design to building pop-up homes for emergency situations yeah yeah that was uh, it's Tell been a really key that. part of my my research group, uh, both at Oxford and, and back here at UQ uh, with the Folded Structures Lab. Yeah. The uh, I guess to me, uh, one of the key things about structural engineering, or something that all structural engineers uh, are interested in, is obviously our built environment. And you know, the yep. key requirement for post disaster use is or shelter loss. And we've seen recently in Australia mm. with bushfires the sort of you know, social and economic devastation that comes with infrastructure loss at the scale that, that we've unfortunately seen. But we've also seen, you know, it's a fairly complex issue to to try and resolve. And, and something that I find really interesting about the research area is, you know, the type of structure that you need in a uh, in an overseas country where you, you might have infrastructure loss from floods or tsunami is totally different to the type of infrastructure response you'll see in Australia, where uh, you might have a much smaller community um, but with a much different legal or regulatory environment uh, in terms of what's permissible and, and who's allowed to rebuild and at what time scale. Mm. Yeah. So when you finished your your studies at Oxford, so you've you've got a fresh PhD under your belt, and mm-hmm. what happens then? You head back to Australia and straight back to the University of Queensland, is it? So I was very lucky with the timing. The school that I left was totally different to the school that I came back to, they actually demolished our entire building and rebuilt a, a brand new facility, the Advanced Engineering Building. And as part of that, the university put a lot of investment 
in the School of Civil Engineering to expand our educational offerings, um, and in particular, you know, in particular in areas such as uh, sustainable construction uh, and interdisciplinary design. So I was hired as, as part of that uh, hiring frenzy, which was, you know, exceptional timing. Yeah. Um, established my own research group, kind of really driving in the area of that large-scale application of parametric geometry, so that structural engineering and architecture space. And so you're you're now um, passing on your knowledge. You're you're teaching younger ones. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a teaching and research academic. My own research group. Uh, I have five PhD students and uh, a similar amount again in undergraduate thesis students who um, build out my research portfolio. And so we have projects across parametric geometry, digital fabrication, and timber construction as our core expertise. Uh, and then, of course, in the teaching space, I teach across uh, the structural engineering courses and then the kind of advanced digital design and fabrication courses that are offered between civil engineering and architecture. Yeah, okay. Now, what about COVID? How has COVID in any way uh, affected the way you you teach or work? Yeah, so it's been an interesting split response. As an, as an educator, I think uh, probably similar to, to many teachers across Australia, it's been quite uh, interesting as to how we adapt our education materials and how students adapt to learning in an online-only environment. Um, universities, I think, were relatively streamlined because most of our lectures are uh, recorded already, so we're kind of used to an, an online format for that. But what, what's really been challenging is those kind of um, – uh, the more personal education activities, so the, the tutorials, the laboratory classes, and then the assessment. So a key part of our program at, at Civil Engineering at UQ is we have these you know, really hands-on activities for the research thesis. They're always building physical prototypes. They're testing things. They're breaking things. And it's a key part of developing that physical intuition that engineers need about how the world works. And yeah. trying to find ways to replicate that in an online environment has been really interesting. We've basically shifted to what I think are relatively clever digital tools that allow students to get a level of interactivity, but without necessarily needing to come to campus. Um, yeah. And, you know, in particular for yeah. students that are stuck overseas, it's been interesting to see how, how effective that's been. Um, in terms of the research space, though, it's kind of interesting because We've lost uh, international conferences, which, which sort yes. of restricts some of our networking opportunities, but people have actually then had a lot more time for, you know, uh, online collaboration. So we've built up some interesting New York work with uh, the University of Cambridge recently, looking at a folded uh, COVID face shield based on some origami uh, shapes that we've been developing. Um, oh, and then, sorry, so, say that again. Oh, so we've developed, so I, I mentioned earlier, so, you know, one of the great things about origami engineering is that you can, make things really quickly you know if you have the yes. right shape and you yeah. have a problem yeah. and you can match them up then you've got a, mm. a new product and so uh, there's a group that we knew through the, at the university of cambridge through our timber research actually um but uh, at the uk in the early covid uh, uh response period Months. was was really yes. desperate for for face masks or all sorts of ppe but um because they knew some of the geometries that we've been developing particularly it's going to get a little bit technical but there's a shape that's called curved crease origami, uh, which yeah. is mostly used for, for packaging and art, but we had some tools that allowed it to be generalised for other applications. So they said, hey, can we use your geometry for, for this problem that we're trying to address? We need to make a, a really <laughs> quick DIY face shield. And, and so, you know, it, it was as simple as emailing a few 
uh, you know, files back and forward. Uh, they had the facilities code, at their yeah. end to, to prototype it. Exactly, you know, our code and, and their workshop machines. And, and they had a good schedule because they were only allowed one person in the workshop at once. So that yep. sort of work in stages. Um, and actually, it, it, was, it, it was... It worked extremely well. Yeah, they they uh, they ended up. Uh, the, the, well, it's worked really well. We've got um, a European certification for the product manufactured out of Cambridge, and they've been rolling it out. Uh, I think locally, uh, there for um, their sort of internal uh, Cambridge PPE use, which is great. Unbelievable. Yeah. So so look, that was a, a great um, a great outcome, and but you know certainly for us the ability to rapidly prototype and deploy. These technologies, whether it's a face mask or a house or a piece of code, you know that's the whole point of what we do. The speed that mm. you can get from yeah, this doing, uh, it, doing it quickly, yeah, exactly. So, what about um, engineering as a career? Because you know, obviously, people leaving high school, um, you know, they'll they'll pick. Okay, what what is it I want to do? Various streams. Um, in engineering, how how's that faring at the moment? Is there is there more demand, less demand? Uh, what are you? What are your observations on 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 that stream? Engineering as a career. Look, it's it's going gangbusters, to put it bluntly, and and it's actually mm. incredibly exciting because you know we're obviously extremely close to the disruptions that we've been seeing from IT uh, and computer yes. science across all sectors of society. So obviously, in terms of our software engineering. Uh, exercise engineering is absolutely incredible as a career path but what's really exciting to me as a civil engineer is those uh tools that we're seeing the digital tools that that have been developed you know they're now seeping back into our professional activities and really supercharging a lot of uh you know the types of problems that you know engineers and in my case civil engineers can solve so you know the solutions to issues like climate change affordable housing um you know carbon reduction they're all mm. problems that engineers have to solve in the next 20 to 30 years, but we keep developing for ourselves more powerful tools to solve them. You know, we can we can simulate uh, items of our future environment that would have been un- unthinkable 10 to 15 years ago because of the computational power we can access and the computational tools that we've built up around our discipline base. You know, for me, the, the fact that a structural engineer can fabricate their own building with a you know twenty thousand dollar piece of workshop machinery is 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 unbelievable. You know, it's mm. it's really changing how things are produced, how things are measured, and how design decisions are made. Um, you know, either in the short term or the long term. Where did your love of um, all things design and engineering come from? When, like, for example, when you're a when you're a young boy, were you like ripping apart things, putting them back together um, instead of you know? playing in the sandpit outside like where, yeah where, where, did it, where did it start no absolutely i you know some of my earliest memories were certainly ripping things apart it took me much longer to figure out how to put them back together um mm-hmm. but you know basically <laughs> any a, any toy you know there's little electronic uh, like star trek games or pre-game boys where it's just the one game and you press the buttons to fire a gun and move the ship you know they lasted about 10 yep. minutes around me before i somehow found dad's screwdriver and took the thing to pieces um and uh, i don't know it was an interesting and but i guess the the aspect of sort of liking to take things apart and put them together again that that's certainly a key part of you know my interest in building but 
my interest in actual structures was just inherent. You know, I, I always, always thought that I wanted to be, you know, something like an architect, but that didn't quite sit right. And then when someone told me what an engineer was, you know, I think I must have been eight or nine and I just said, no, that's what I meant. Sorry, I meant to say that I wanted to do engineering. Yeah. I just I just hadn't learnt the word yet. So I'm quite lucky in that sense because for me there's never really been a question of which career I should go into. I always was, you know, deeply, deeply interested in the buildings around us and, and how they're put together. Um, and I was fortunate, you know, that my actual academic aptitudes align reasonably well with that as a career path and that, you know, I'm able to <laughs> solve the problems that structural engineers need to solve. I imagine you would have been pretty handy around uh, the Lego as you were growing up. Yeah, no, I uh, I had no shortage of great sets. I just had to compete with my three younger siblings to see who got to put it together first. So our parents were very patient in making sure that we all we all had a turn. Um, but I don't know. The thing I like about Lego is everyone everyone loves it. You know, as a as a tool, it's similar to origami, like everyone's played with it, it yeah. as a kid and, yeah. and that 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 yeah. hands-on that that physical ability to see you know the pieces available to you and put them together whether you're following instructions or whether you're just freestyling you know it's inherent to to human enjoyment and and origami is the same you know you have a, a piece of paper or something you want to fidget with and you know just playing with it in your hands and making a pattern or making something beautiful it, it's extremely enjoyable and so to me, that you know, that is an engineering skill set. It's just the pieces that we have to put together are, are sometimes a little bit more abstract. It could be a, a piece of code, it could be a bit of data that we've got, or it could be literally, you know, a, a three meter by six meter physical piece of the structure that has to be popped into position at a certain time in a certain way. Now, I understand you're a member of the Australian Research Council Future Timber Hub. What does this involve? Yeah, so this is our, I guess, latest uh, research activity or really flagship research activity in our school. And mm -hmm. it's incredibly exciting, actually. So it's, speaking of Lego, um, the, the thing that initiated this as a research activity is, I guess, the next generation of timber buildings which are popping up in our built environment. And there's some fantastic yep. examples in uh, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. I, I don't know if you've seen any, but basically five to ten storey commercial buildings or apartment buildings built entirely out of timber as a material. Um, yeah. Now, of course, timber's timber's not strange to Australia. It's our most common building material for, for housing. But the thing that's shifted is we can now make these huge parts, which are just giant Lego blocks, really. Um, but they're, you know, perfect engineering materials. They're totally renewable. They're lightweight. They're stiff. And they look really fantastic. So, there's a you know a growing demand in the market for sustainable construction technologies and, and mass timber now is is a really great material option for how that's delivered and so I guess as a research activity um, there's a bunch of us involved my particular area is around digital fabrication so how we can streamline the design and fabrication and then installation of timber parts you know using things like geometry you can you can cut in shapes or connection details to your parts that allow them to click together more quickly or more cheaply or more reliably um, but we also you know span across uh, energy consumption sustainable building design fire safety engineering you know product development and you know forestry and wood science well i think it's fair to say i don't think i'll look at origami the same way ever again joe it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today on the scholars dr joe gattis from the university of queensland 
origami engineer extraordinaire. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Justin.